Good evening, Notting Hill. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Manners cost nothing. Should we, should we do that? No one else has been doing that. Okay, fine. Now I know how long I've got. Um, which is good during talks, isn't it? Because I like DVDs when you can see <laughs> what proportion you've done. Um, so, yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk a little bit about the diaries uh, I wrote when I was a, uh, a junior doctor. Uh, in particular, the fact that medical school prepares you very badly for actually being a doctor. Um, so you, you decide to be a doctor basically when you're 16, when you make the A-level choices that the medical schools uh, dictate and uh, that you need to have. And 16 is a very bad age to decide to do anything, uh, really, let alone what you want to do between the ages of 25 and 65. Um, and, uh, and then to get into medical school, you need to have a few you know, exams and whatever, but the main thing they look for, it isn't like they don't do psychometric tests to check that you're sort of you know, up to it. Um, they, they do if you, if you want to be an astronaut or a train driver. They, they do if you want to go on Big Brother, but they don't if you want to be uh, a doctor. What they insist uh, that you have, other than your exams, is uh, lots of extracurricular activities, like sort of grade eight oboe, and you know, you're the captain of the first 11 or the first 15, you're good at lacrosse or whatever. And if you look at any famous doctor through history on their Wikipedia page, you'll see it's always been the same. So here's one. Um, he proved himself an accomplished rugby player in youth leagues. He excelled as a distance runner and in his final year at school was vice-captain of the athletics team. And that's Harold Shipman. So uh, you'll see that it's, it's potentially not a completely rock-solid system. So anyway, you get into medical school and, uh, and then they squirt you out the other end as a house officer, which is the lowest uh, rank of being a doctor. It basically involves getting shouted at for 16 hours a day and being splashed with bodily fluids. Not even the fun kind. And I'm going to, I'm going to read you a diary entry which displays one of the things they don't tell you about medical school, uh, during medical school about medicine, which is how disgusting it is. Um, this is from the 7th of February 2005 and concerns a degloving injury. Do we have any doctors in the, in the house? Very good. There's no emergency, by the way. I'm just, just making friends. What's a degloving injury? Yeah, exactly, when the, the skin comes off. So typically if motorcyclists fly off their bikes and their hands drag along the ground and degloving, say what you see. Patient WM is 18 and was out celebrating with friends after receiving his A-level results, three Cs. <laughs> after chucking out time, he found himself dancing on the roof of a bus shelter, then decided to get back to ground level using a neighbouring lamppost as a fireman's pole. He jumped onto the lamppost and slid down koala bear style. He misjudged the texture of the lamppost which provided more friction than he had allowed for. He therefore presented to A&E with severe grazing to both hands and a complete degloving of his penis. <laughs> this is far and away the worst penis I've ever seen. And I have seen a lot of penises. 
worthy of a rosette, if only there was a place to pin it. A couple of inches of urethra coated with a thin layer of bloody pulp, maybe two millimetres diameter in total. It brought to mind a remnant of spaghetti stuck to the bottom of the bowl by some tomato sauce. The patient was upset. <laughs> this was made worse when he asked if the penis could be re-gloved. The consultant explained that the glove will spread evenly up eight foot of lamppost in Fulham. Beyond House of Years, uh, one specialises, and I chose uh, the field of obstetrics and gynaecology, or brats and twats, as it was known. <laughs> or parts and labour. Anyway... Um, it sort of appealed to me because you, uh, you end up with twice the number of patients you start with, which is a pretty good batting average for any field of medicine, really. Um, uh, medicine's built on this concept of see one, do one, teach one. That's the old adage. And uh, by definition, you do have to do your first delivery at some point. And this is the story of when I did my first von Tuss extraction, which is where you put a sort of suction cup on baby's head and pull it out. I wish that was an exaggeration. That's just literally what it is. 19th of September, 2005. First Von Tuss delivery. I suddenly feel like an obstetrician. It's a pretty notional job title until you can, you know, actually extract a baby. My registrar, Lily, talks me through it gently, but I do, do it all myself, and it feels absolutely great. Congratulations. You did amazingly well there, says Lily. Thank you, I reply, then realize she's actually talking to the mother. One of the things that people don't often realize about junior doctors is um, during your hospital training years, you ricochet around the country a bit. It makes sense to train in lots of different types of hospitals, little ones and big ones, and some that are experts in uh, one field and, and another. Um, and the, basically, the country is divided up into what are called deaneries, and you can work uh, every year in a different, uh, different uh, hospital within that deanery. The problem is that these uh, deaneries are quite big. Uh, for example, one of them is called Scotland. <laughs> and you'll appreciate it's, it's pretty difficult to find a place to live that's handy for all of Scotland. And so you end up moving the whole time. And if you don't exist in a vacuum, if you have a partner, um, there are quite a lot of discussions where you have to say, do you mind moving 100 miles away? And they go... No, uh, or yes, and if they say yes, that's that relationship over. Um, and all doctors move on the same day of the year, which is known as Black Wednesday. It's Black Wednesday, and I've started at St. Agatha's. It's an established fact that death rates go up on Black Wednesday. Knowing this really takes the pressure off, so I'm not trying very hard. <laughs> so... People don't realise that about uh, doctors' lives, the, the, you know, the frequency you have to you know, literally move house. Um, another thing is everyone realises there, there are bad hours, so reading back through my diaries, I had a lot of 97-hour weeks, which is, which is a lot. And um, of the seven years I worked as a doctor, I only spent one Christmas with my family, so it wasn't all bad. Um, <laughs> but... On top of these hours that you're that you're you're paid for, 
there's this thing that happens. So it's five o'clock and you're meant to be going home and someone starts exsanguinating. You, you sort of have to stay for the, that extra three hours to sort them out. There's technically a choice to go home or stay, but if that's a choice to you, you'd have never applied to medical school in the first place. So you stay and then you're meant to be meeting someone for dinner or for drinks and then suddenly you have to text them and say, oh, work, I can't do it. But this, this happens a few times a week. So you're routinely texting someone to say, oh, I can't, I can't make it out tonight, sorry. And then eventually these people stop inviting you out because you've always got this excuse of, uh, of work. And then, you know, you've already split up with your other half. And so eventually your, your so social circle decreases a lot. And that's something you don't realize when you, when you apply to do medicine. Another thing you don't realize um, is quite how many people stick objects into their orifices. <laughs> and I don't mean to bring the tone uh, down too much. Uh, but I do strongly commend uh, my book to the house. Uh, but I don't want you to buy it as a gift for the wrong person. So I think it's important to read out this diary entry just to check if Nana's going to enjoy it. <laughs> 29th of February, 2008. Special occasions call for patients to insert special types of objects into their vaginas and recta. Christmas in particular has rewarded me well with a stuck fairy, a swollen vulva from a mistletoe contact allergy, and vaginal burns from a patient stuffing a string of lights inside and turning them on. <laughs> Bringing new meaning to the phrase, I put the Christmas lights up myself. Come on, I've only got 15 minutes. Um, this, uh, this is my first leap year working as a doctor, and the great British public have really pulled it out of the bag for me with a very, very specific injury. Patient JB decided to take advantage of tradition and proposed to her boyfriend, going to the expense of buying an engagement ring, the trouble of putting it inside a kinder surprise egg, and the imagination of inserting it vaginally. Her partner would discover it, retrieve it, and then she would go down on one knee, equal parts unexpected, disgusting, and I suppose romantic. Unfortunately, which is a word that appears a lot in this book, unfortunately, he was unable to retrieve it as planned. It had rotated itself lengthwise, and no amount of sugarling from either of them would get this particular goose to lay its golden egg. Remarkably, she was so keen to maintain the surprise, she wouldn't tell him what she'd done or why, but eventually decided it was a hospital matter, so we met in cubicle three. It was a very easy delivery with a pair of sponge-holding forceps. She hadn't told me about the contents of the egg either at this point, so there was a moment of confusion for both me and the boyfriend <laughs> when she asked him to open it. I gave him a pair of latex gloves, sandblasting the last trace of romance from this scenario. She popped the question, and he said yes. Presumably out of fear as to what a woman who does that with a kinder surprise would do to him if spurned. So, you do get very good at poker playing this job. You have to, whatever happens, just nod and nod and smile as if this is normal. You have an, a man in his late 80s explaining that he uses some colossal butt plug called the Arse Master, and you just have to go, what size of Arse Master, sir? 
so at this point, I'm now a senior registrar, which is one click down uh, below uh, consultant. I get to be called Mr. K rather than Dr. K, which makes the previous decade of studying feel like a fucking waste of time. <laughs> and uh, by now, I'm paid so much that I can buy any sandwich without even looking at the price first. <laughs> 25th of August 2010, an 85-year-old long-stay gynae cancer patient breaks her heart on yesterday's ward round. She misses her late husband, her children have barely visited her since she's been in hospital, and she can't even have a usual whiskey nightcap in here. I decided to play Boy Scout and prescribe whiskey 50 mils nightly on her drug chart and gave the house officer 20 quid to get a bottle from the supermarket to pass on to the nursing staff so they could fulfil the prescription on their drug round. This morning, the ward sister reports the patient declined her drink because, quote, Jack Daniels is fucking cat piss. <laughs> 2nd of January, 2nd of December, sorry, 2010. Spending a sunny Sunday afternoon on Labour Ward with an excellent SHO. She asked me to review the heart tracing of a patient's baby and I agree with her assessment that the patient needs an urgent caesarean section for fetal distress. They're a lovely couple, recently married. It's their first baby and they understand the situation. The SHO asks if she can perform the caesarean while I assist, which is the standard way you train up. In theatre, the SHO goes through the layers, skin, fat, muscle, peritoneum one, peritoneum two, uterus. After the uterine incision, rather than amniotic fluid, blood comes out, a lot of blood. There's been an abruption which means the placenta's come away. I stay calm and ask the SHO to deliver the baby. She says she can't, there's something in the way. I take over the operation, the placenta is in the way. The patient has an undiagnosed placenta previa. This should have been noticed on scan. She should never have been allowed to go into labor. I deliver the placenta and deliver the baby. The baby is clearly dead. Pediatricians attempt resuscitation with no success. The patient is bleeding heavily from the uterus, one litre, two litres. My stitches have no effect, drugs have no effect. I call for the consultant to come in urgently from home. The patient's now under general anaesthetic and receiving emergency blood transfusions, blood loss now five litres. I try a brace suture, which are big stitches to compress the uterus like a pair of braces. No luck. I'm squeezing the uterus as hard as I can with both hands. It's the only thing that stops the bleeding. The consultant arrives, attempts another brace suture. It doesn't work. I can see the panic in her eyes. The anaesthetist is telling us he can't get fluid into the patient fast enough to replace what she's losing and we're risking organ damage. The consultant calls in another colleague. He's not on duty, but he's the most experienced surgeon either of us can think of. We take it in turns, squeezing the uterus until he arrives 20 minutes later. He performs a hysterectomy. The bleeding's finally under control, 12 litres. The patient goes to intensive care, and I'm warned to expect the worst. My, my consultant talks to the husband. I start to write up my operation notes, but instead just cry for an hour. And that's the last diary entry I wrote. And that's another thing I don't tell you at medical school. And when it happened, everyone in the hospital was very nice to me, very kind to me, explained it wasn't my fault, I couldn't have done anything differently, but still, it was very much the expectation that you stiff up a lippet and you come back to work the next day. It was like I said, I'd sprained my ankle. Oh, I'm so sorry, but you can still do clinic, right? And so, I guess medical schools should probably change a bit, and they should check when you apply 
if you're okay with the sight of blood. They shouldn't just teach about the pharmacological management of death and dying, but the equal and opposite reaction it, it has on, on the human being as a doctor. And not to forget that doctors are just human beings. They are just a random 16-year-old who arbitrarily put a tick on a UCAS form. Thank you very much.